Welcome back, friends. Nice to see you. This is Richard, and we are here for our talks with Dr. Gabriel Cousins, and we're going to get into some really relevant topics today, primarily about nutrition and sugar. And the reason that's relevant to the insane world situation is that taking care of yourself makes you able to contribute more to what's going on in the world. So it's really important to understand what to do to take care of your body and Dr. Cousins is a great source of vast amount of information on that. So let's go right to Gabriel and see where he wants to go with it today. Thank you, Richard. I woke into it with love, and we're going to have a sweet talk today. Okay? Um, we see so much imbalance in the world, and one of the things is physiological imbalance. And for the last 50 years, I've been really aware of all the different imbalances coming from an excess sugar, high carbohydrate diet. So first we'll do a little dancing, get going, and then we'll meditate for a minute, and then we'll be good.
So, slowly come out of meditation. And I want to just kind of give a little introduction to this. Uh, in the past 50 years, since 1973, which is actually really 50 years, I have been working as a holistic physician and an orthomolecular psychiatrist. Uh, and doing a lot of work with what I saw very initially was sugar imbalances that people had. I had no idea because we didn't really talk about things like that in medical school. And I have no idea why that was the case also. But but what's true is it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> mundane. I just want to note, I had a toxic exposure and kind of activated my upper lungs and also my throat about a week ago. So I'm just actually pulling it out of it and Talking makes it worse. So if I'm coughing, I'm not having a cough. I mean, I'm having a cough, but it's a toxic exposure cough. It's a very different thing. So my lungs are a little irritated. Um, so what I saw is maybe 70% of the people I saw had sugar imbalances. Hypoglycemia was one of them. Uh, obviously diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and then you have brain inflammation associated with sugar intake, excess sugar intake. You have uh, literally uh, type 3 Alzheimer's from diabetes uh, creating a, a sugar in the brain that, that actually creates brain inflammation. Um, so there are many levels. The loss, also many chronic diseases that we're, we're, we're really talking about, metabolic diseases besides brain inflammation and diabetes and hypoglycemia. Um, and in general, I saw a lot of organ degeneration. So these are all things I began to see and say, wait, we got one kind of problem here. Sugar excess. And then as I began to study the idea of sugar, and I mean fructose or glucose or sucrose, I mentioned fructose is 10 times more inflammatory to the brain than glucose. And fructose is metabolized very differently uh, than glucose. Fructose is metabolized in the liver, and it's the number one cause of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease because it gets changed into fat in the liver, particularly triglycerides and fat in the liver, and it's uh, the number one cause besides alcohol of sclerosis of the liver and liver inflammation. So we're talking we're very real type diseases. And we can clearly get clear that uh, when you're taking a lot of sugar, you're overloading the beta cells of the pancreas, which make insulin, and that takes you into diabetes-type situations. Or, let's say, hyperinsulinemia, which is like a pre-diabetes situation. So, without getting too medical, I'm just making the point. There's a whole lot of things going on. So I began looking at it, and one of the things that sugar does is it activates the dopamine release and dopamine centers in the brain, which are the pleasure centers, which is why people really like sugar. <laughs> and sugar is very addictive. Um, some people feel it's a, as addictive as heroin. Now, in my work, 
I've been able to get people off sugar usually in a five to seven day fast. And I don't mean, I mean the physiological addiction and you have the mental addiction as well. Uh, and that's part of it because people aren't getting enough positive stimulation in their life and the dopamine stimulation from the sugar gives you that sugar hit. So those are things that, that go on. Um, now, so we have sugar addiction, which is treatable in the short term. Staying off sugar is a different thing. So a lot of the times that sugar is, people are into it, it really causes problems with the pancreas, the liver, the thyroid, the heart, brain inflammation, uh, and, uh, and the adrenals. And so to repair this, you really have to repair all the different organ systems that have been thrown off from the sugar intake. Um, and that's kind of the, the overall approach. But we're talking, it's a nation, it's an international problem. Even when I was in China, I saw that there was high levels of sugar addiction that people have. They're kind of surprising. But definitely it was there. Um, and if we want to get to a high level of well-being, sustained, the sugar addictions have to be, uh, let's say, approached and mastered. Uh, and the next part is staying off it. So one of the things you say it's sugar, and that's going to up your dopamine. Also, some of the serotonin, okay, which are, are your your neurotransmitter ones. Um, it also burns out the adrenals, disrupts the thyroid, disrupts the indulges the pineal gland, hypothalamic areas, pituitary. So it's a big problem, and. I usually use a fast. Usually in five to seven days, people break the initial sugar addiction. But then you have to repair the organs. Then you have to look at the re reward factor. Sugar is a reward. It gives you a good feeling. And so for someone to truly break the sugar habit, they have to up the game of their life. That's what we're talking about, is, is what's really in, in, important with that. Um, now, uh, the, the struggle is that it's in almost all the foods, commercial foods, it's part, it's a, a good piece of what sells food to people. And it is also, let's say, linked to really affecting people's lives. Now, there's an overlap with sugar and alcohol. The people who are, uh, addicted to alcohol and breaking the alcoholism, they may find themselves very commonly switching over to a sugar addiction. So both of them have to be dealt with. Now, I'm to, those are concentrated sugar sources. One of the other problems is in general, people eat too much carbohydrates, not just in the form of simple sugars, but even complex carbohydrates. Now, in my work and in some of my books, I point out that we all have unique constitutions. And uh, some of us need a higher protein diet. Some people need a lower protein diet. Some people need a slightly higher carbohydrate diet. Some people need a lower carbohydrate diet. And there's kind of ratios. But there is unique individuality. So we have to kind of keep that in mind too. But 
the in every case of the three different levels of uh, carbohydrate need, what I recommend is a organic, I'm going to say vegan, a complex carbohydrate. It's called vegetables. You didn't necessarily hear me say fructose and fruit. Talking about vegetables, they're 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 more balanced in the long run. Now, there's a few people who can be successful fruitarians. It's it's good, but they're not the majority. They're not even the small minority. They're a very very small minority. So that kind of fruitarian approach isn't. Uh, it's just for very few people. So part of in the conversion, one has to find out. Whether your person needs a lot of protein, a lot of it, uh, vegan fat and low sugar, or a higher car- carbohydrate diet and lower fat and protein. Uh, again, according to your constitution, you have to figure it out by trial and error. How do you do that? Well, if, uh, you eat something and it sustains you for four hours, it's a pretty good bet that you are metabolizing it in a balanced way. So there's some people who can have a complex carbohydrate, you know, a vegetable salad, and be sustained for four hours. Uh, And then there are other people, they get hungry in an hour because they need a higher protein fat diet. So another piece to it is eating according to your, in a sense, your genetic program. Chromosome 19, it has space for how much sugar, uh, how much carbohydrate, how much fat, how much protein we should have. That's pretty good. And for everyone, it's a little different, but it's a genetically determined thing and by trial and error you work it out and I, I discuss it in some of my books but you 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 have to kind of play with it a little bit to figure out that and how do you know you're on the right diet? You have energy all the time. It's steady. It's not going up and down, which is what you often see when it's uh, too much sugar, but you get high and you get low. It's a steady flow of energy, and you feel, again, good and solid clarity of mind and body all the time. So those are some guidelines to begin to look at the whole topic that really affects everyone's life. And part of life mastery mastery is actually mastering your tongue. I shouldn't say tongue because people think that's just about language. Mastering your diet. So I'm going to turn it over to Richard for a little bit. See what he has to add to this. But I will also say in the world of orthomolecular psychiatry, uh, we have to balance our neurotransmitters. Usually we're looking at the situation where people have lost their balance. So we want to rebuild that. It's part of rebalancing the neurotransmitters in the brain, and then that brings your mind to a more steady state. Richard, I think I hear you in the background. Your topic is really important. Um I relate to it personally, not as a user of processed sugar, because I learned, I've been in the health field for a long time, and I learned about uh, processed sugar and gave it up by 1965. Haven't really had it since then. Not, wasn't interested in processed foods and just trying to figure out how to put the game together and solve the riddle and overcome the usual degeneration and so-called normal aging and all that kind of stuff. So, but I relate to what you're talking about because 
it's not just a processed sugar issue. That's one form of it. But uh, I find myself really still dealing with the carbohydrate issue. And as a raw food person, that takes the form primarily of fruit issues. And so uh, what I've noticed is that I'll have energy, a lot of energy from a concentrated sweet fruit, but it's not stable. And it's not just not stable. It's causing other tr- other problems. You said, you know, you were exposed to something toxic and you're trying to deal with that now. Um, I had a similar major life exposure to some kind of a energy weapon or something about three years ago. I'm still trying to see if I'm going to live through that now. And I'm really looking with a fine-tooth comb or a magnifying glass at uh, specific nutrition issues. And one of them as a raw food person is that I don't get anywhere near the carbs that my constitution needs from salad. So I'm the only other raw food thing, since honey doesn't feel like it works, is fruit. And I have to be really careful with fruit. And I, I don't know how to hit the right balance because the amount that feels energizing, I can also notice if I really am quiet and look at it, neurological uh, negative effects. So hitting that balance, I'm interested in what you think about that. Well, everyone has to work it out. It, 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 it's essential. This is one of the essential tasks in um, not just by food, but in any kind of diet that's healthy. You've got to work out the right mixture of the food chain. You're doing it. Right. I, I noticed that, you know, it was really important for me not to hold on to a any particular theory or dogma and ex, expense of the reality in my health. So I did an experiment to see if I got the same effect from eating a piece of uh, cooked carbohydrate, which most of the raw fooders go to as their main source. And I got some uh, winter squash and some other things like that. I got the same negative effect that I got from sweet fruit. So I'm, I'm looking at the uh, paradox, which you may have seen a lot in many people, where the amount of carbohydrate that makes you feel satisfied is the same amount that messes up your nervous system. And you have to know how to respond to that. Well, I think I think it isn't exactly the way. When you got it right, it doesn't mess you up. So usually it's too much. Yeah. So I don't need a lot of carbohydrate, you know, besides vegetables. Um, and you're talking about raw vegetables. Yes, so I'm not cooking things and losing 50% of the protein and 95% of the phytonutrients. So that's important. So that is really important. And I got, I got to ask a question, even though I'm interrupting. Um, okay. I've heard our friend Brian Clement and others make the same comment about what the reason for trying to get onto raw food and not cook food is what you just said. And it's a really big deal, especially over decades of your life. But almost everybody who gets onto raw food to get healed goes back to cooked food to some percentage after that in spite of what you and Brian and others have said. And my theory of why is not just because they don't care. It's because they're after more carbohydrate. And the cooked food concentrates carbohydrates by cooking, breaking it down. And what's the solution to that? Because, you know, the, the honest raw food teachers say what you just said. And there's no reason to go back to cooked food unless you can't get something. And usually I think it's carbs. Well, my answer is, in a sense, don't go back. In other words, I enjoy eating live food. Fine, I don't. I don't need to go back to something I don't need, and this and is not good for me as well. So why does everybody do it? Almost everybody, because at some level, and I don't think it's the sugar in it. People are addicted to cooked food. It's a different taste, right? 
and it's a different texture. And quite honestly, it's a different energy. It's a much lower energy. It's a whole experience when you're smelling it, cooking, and associating it with the uh, family atmosphere or the <laughs> atmosphere, friendliness, having a good time. Uh, you, you, that's true with the other food, too. That's true with live food, too. You know. um, what's different is you can eat half as much. You're eating energy more obviously. You can really feel the energy in the food. And so it's a totally different communion with nature experience. Right. When you cook it, it doesn't, it loses its, it doesn't become denatured, but it loses its nature. It loses its primal energetic form, which is raw and live and fresh. So it's like you get used to this whole, whole other taste. Now, I'm not sure why some people go back, but the other thing is <laughs> the society in general doesn't really support this kind of diet. It's just not part of what the world does. Right. So my feeling is almost more sociological that people tend to go back because it's easier. You're not swimming upstream. You're not being the unique expression that you're that you're meant to be. So if if you're trying to eat 100 percent raw food like what you're talking about, and you feel like you need more carbohydrate than what's in the salad. Do you experiment with fruit? Is that permissible? or? Is yeah. It permissible? I, mean, I don't really need much fruit. <laughs> but, well, then, <laughs> I look at it a little mechanically. I eat something, am I going to have energy for the next three hours? Sustainable energy. That's how I look at it. How am I going to feel? Besides the energy, am I going to feel clear, good, loose, limber? Right. Or am I going to feel stiff? Or am I going to feel slow? So I'm looking at it from an overall energetic point of view. The other thing I like about life is you can eat half as much because you, you don't coagulate 50% of the protein, 60-70% of the vitamins and minerals. 95% of the fire nutrients. So you can eat half as much. And it's nice to, to leave the table not full. So with cooked food, you have to eat more. Right. That's true. So how's your voice feeling? Do you want to end early to save your voice, or are you feeling okay for talking? Okay. As best as I can be, but thank you for asking. Sure. So what's the issue with people who feel like they eat the salad and it's not enough carbohydrate energy and they start losing energy after a short time? So I think that they're not getting enough protein. You think it's usually protein and they mistake it for a sugar need? Yeah. And I, I ask people to... to because 70% of the population needs a higher protein. That's okay. like 70 grams in the, your diet versus 35 grams. Or so, so that should be available in a live food form, right, if it's part of nature? Yeah. So what do you recommend to try for that? Well, people do different things. I like the blue-green algaes, you have, and then you have spirulina, you have chlorella. You could have some of the... In today's world, the protein concentrates, sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds, things like that. But your solid, your spirulina, chlorella, blue-green algae, they are 70% uh, protein. And meat, fish, chicken are 16 17 18% protein. And they're about 90% assimilated where meat, fish, and chicken are... Uh, Heart, you know, really have 
low assimilation. The best is eggs at 44%. So you got food protein concentrates that are right there for us. Right. I recommend yeah. nuts and seeds are also good. They're just a little higher in fat. Some people need more fat, so that that's good for them. There's plenty of protein available. Really so, funny. So the nuts and seeds are not a bad source if you want to do it through a natural food source. Well, spirulina and chlorella are natural, of course. Right. Right. Uh, but, I mean, but nuts and seeds in- are good. Nuts and seeds are a very good source. We want to soak them, you know, to kind of activate them. And then you, then you have them. So they're a very good source. Yeah. You know, when I was saying you want a natural source, I'm not saying that uh, algae is not natural. I'm saying the way nature is designed, you wouldn't think that humans would be swimming around eating algae in the ocean or in lakes normally. Like Historically, they did. They did in Mexico. And in Klamath Lake, looking at algae, people had, people had that also. Right, right. So it's there. I think it was the Aztecs who were really into spirulina. Are there some people that are correct that they need more carbohydrates? Some people need more carbohydrates. Some people need more protein. About 70% of the population needs a higher protein intake, which isn't that high. It's 70 grams, not much, versus 35. Carbohydrates, same thing. Some people need a higher carbohydrate. I'm talking complex carbohydrates now. I'm not talking about sugar or sweets. And some people need a lower carbohydrate. Generally speaking, what I found, the range is Protein, 10 to 15%, the range depending on the person. Uh, the carbohydrate is about 45%, you know, roughly speaking, 45 to 50 or 60% depending on the person. And fat is, uh, again, up there at 45 to 50, 60% depending on your metabolic type. Clarify what you mean by that percent. Percent of what? Of your food. Okay, okay. So some people need higher protein and fat. So they are going to do better with nuts and seeds because they're, they're, it's a high-fat food. What would your answer be if people were to ask you, you know, looking at cooked food and meat and everything that you're not recommending, and that some people, you know, including bodybuilders and fitness people, and I've noticed this too, some of them look great eating a complete cooked food diet with meat and cooked grain and broccoli or some cooked vegetable. And then, you know, they may have problems later, but for a while, they look great. Why is that? That's so misleading. You know, it seems. Nature's, yeah. nature's playing with this. If we're looking at longevity, durability, and overall health, that doesn't hold up the way the weight leaders do. And, and I, I don't think they have a very good longevity time either. Right. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? For, yeah. a, while, for a while, some of them look fantastic, and they're very functional. For a while, 10 years, 15 years, something like that, uh, but then that muscle turns to flab because you're not. There are also people who are usually very active. Yeah, yeah. And weightlifters or athletes, and then when you reach your mid forties, you start to lose that tone, and then you got a lot of flab instead of muscle. So what about, you said, trial and error and uh, really paying attention to your body. How do you fine-tune what you need to feel your best? So the first thing is get a feeling for your genetics. 
Are you a person that really likes salads and you're just content with that? That's going to suggest you're a higher protein, lower fat, lower uh, fat and protein, and higher carbohydrate diet. Okay? I, I said it the wrong way. If you like fat, then you're, you're a higher protein, higher fat person, lower carbohydrate. If you can have a carbohydrate, uh, a salad that's going to last you all day, you're a person then that's really geared to properly metabolize carbohydrate. So you begin to kind of see the two ends of it and see where you are. Then you get more specific and detail how much protein, fat, and carbohydrate you are having in your meals. That gives you sustainable energy, clarity of mind, and strength. What if you're a person that doesn't get enough carbohydrate from salad? But you need, in other words, you need a higher carbohydrate. From what? No, no. You're saying you're a person that needs a higher carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah. What if what if you eat salad and you it's not doesn't feel like enough carbohydrate? Right. But usually, I don't hear that complaint. Usually, I hear I'll have a little bit more nuts and seeds, and I'm fine. So, in your experience, <coughs> generally, fruit is not required. Fruit, fruit. Just a little bit. Some people say that your brain needs a little bit of sugar to run on. <laughs> Hold on a second. The best food for the brain is fat. And when people are fasting, we switch from carbohydrate metabolism to fat metabolism, and it improves significantly improves brain function. So the research suggests normally people are doing glucose and fructose and things like that. That's the normal brain fuel, but the fats are a better brain food. Vegan fats. There's a transition process. Like uh, two to three times better. And when you just stop, when you're used to the sugar input... and you're trying to switch over to fat, there's some kind of a transition process, right? Yes. It takes a few days. What happens during those few days? How do you feel? Well, I don't think people describe it as feeling bad. You actually end up feeling more energized. Because you're getting onto a higher quality uh, energetic food for yourself. So there's really no downside to getting away from most of the sugar. Correct. There may be some sugar withdrawal, but that's a very different thing. Okay, okay describe describe that. What, what's that about? Well, it's different because you're you're. It's a drug withdrawal. You're withdrawing from heroin. It doesn't feel good. So when you're withdrawing from sugar addiction, doesn't feel so good for a few days. And, right. your, and your blood sugar builds has come up. So if you're used to eating a lot of fruit every day and you stop, you're going to feel a little strange for a while. Yeah, not necessarily, but you might. Maybe what you'll find is you feel way better because fructose, high fructose diet isn't only good for a small percentage of the population. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, we're about at the end of our time, but if people want to get more into this, I think some of your programs relate to it. Is that true? Yeah. And my books. Spiritual nutrition and conscious eating. There's a cure for diabetes. They all relate to it. Okay. And the rest of the programs at drcousins.com? Yeah, and we 
we really learn a lot about our metabolism in our fasting retreats because you actually go from switching from a carbohydrate-based energy-based to a fat-based energy-based, and that fat is coming from your own body. Right. And, and, how do- and I didn't say it right. You actually have eight times more energy from the fat per calorie than from carbohydrate per calorie. So how do people feel during the fasting retreat on, on the early versus the later days? So it's a good question. So what it is is you depends. If you've been fasting for a while, the fact is you just feel light and clean the whole time. But for most people, that's the way I feel. I don't really have much happening. Mm-hmm. Most people, you have a little bit of withdrawal from uh, glucose. Then you have your detox for day three and four and five. And then you start to feel really good because you've moved into a new metabolism and you're not suffering from uh, withdrawal and you're, you're really getting, you know, optimum energy from your food, from your juice. Sounds like a universally beneficial practice for anybody that wants to feel better. It has been that way for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. It's <laughs> five thousand years we haven't documented. Right. No no equipment required, just water, right? Correct, because they didn't have juicers then. Yeah, yeah. Juicers were a lot less evolved five thousand years ago. Yeah, but Socrates and Plato, Pythagoras, they all did water tests. Right, right. So it's, it, you know, you kind of move in that direction. The 40-day water fast is a little much. We just start with seven-day juice fast. And the juice is two and a half. And what's well for people. Green juices. What's the difference generally, and, and I know we need to wrap up now, but what would you say is the basic difference between water and juice fasting? Um, safety. You need more supervision with water? I don't want to scare people, but there are more hardy regularities in a water fast. And people actually can get really sick. And uh, uh, it stresses. You get a stronger detox at level, at certain level, but it's can, can, not that it will, strain the kidneys. And I've had a variety of people who done water fast have come to me afterwards. You know, I, I wasn't fasting them. And there's too many toxins in the kidneys. So a water fast at one level is a more powerful detoxer. Right. But at another level, it's a much greater stress in the body. And if you see it more cumulatively, you may need an extra, you know, one or three diluted juice fasts. So we dilute the juices in half. And then you're at a place where you're fine. You're not having that uh, depletion. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's milder. It takes longer, but it's safer. Yeah, you don't have the heart irregularities. That's a big deal. People, you know, people have died in water fests. We don't really have that report. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but we don't really see that as an issue with juice fests. And again, heart irregularities, way less with uh, juice fests. Right, yeah. So you want to wrap up by tying this to the world situation? (laughs) So we can joke, but maybe not. But I'll tell you something. One of the things I found about the Middle East as I began to explore diabetes and so forth is the Arabs have a very, very, very high rate of diabetes. I couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. One day I was giving a, a talk to uh, 
primarily an Arab group. And uh, you know, I don't know where just where it was. It's in what we would call the disputed territory. So it's and afterwards they said, Let's go go out. We went to a sweet shop and um I'd never been to something like this. All there were were extremely concentrated sugar sweets. The whole shop was concentrated sugar sweets. And I realized, then I did some research on it, that the diet is heavily sugar. I just never got it before. You you have to go in to see for yourself. Everything is like so concentrated in, in sugar. It's like unbelievable. Wow. It, it was, you know, people were just taking me there. It's like, okay. I had to be socially cool so I didn't insult them. <laughs> but um, the point I'm making is it's a very high part of the Arab diet in the Middle East is sugar. And that's all over the Middle East. That's in Saudi Arabia. It's in, you know, every country I looked at, that they have a tremendous amount of sugar, sugar-coated this, sugar-coated this, sugar syrup this. And that explained to me why they have such a high rate of diabetes. So I never could put it together. It didn't make sense. So you kind of look at a culture and you look at sugar and you look at blood sugar balances and you look at how it affects your mind and your health and your rate of diabetes, which is, again, for younger people, like 35, 40%. It's very, very, very high. And it goes progressively higher with age in 40s. So it was a big teaching, just culture. You know, it's a cultural thing. But when you really get it, when your blood sugar is bouncing up and down, when it goes down, it's really easy to get violent or it can get too high and you get hyperactive. So there's different things going on that are really part of the Middle Eastern culture that affect in the area that we're talking about affect your, 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 the functioning of your mind. And I just didn't realize it until people took me to a, a sugar bar. Hmm. There are different cultures. It's, it's important to understand. How, and you also have that in India. Tremendous amount of sugar. I've seen it in India and Mexico both. <laughs> In India, it's about 15% of the diet, sugar. Right. And it's just part of the culture. You give, well, I, I, I mean, I, Mexico is, is sweet, but there's lots of things. I'm talking about everywhere in India, very high in sugar. And with the sugar syrups and the different things like that. Just every restaurant, every every place. And it's considered culturally good. So I just kind of make that little point. You don't see it so much in Africa, um, except in wealthy people's homes where they're trying to be good hosts. So they'll always give you a sweet drink, Coca-Cola. That's considered a particularly good drink. You know, so it's in different cultures. Sweet is a way of, uh, is a positive offering. So that's just a, another little thing. It's, it's not just one culture. So I'll just throw that out for humor's sake. Okay, so what's the message? Be sweet to yourself. Be really sweet to yourself by taking care of yourself, by minimizing the amount of sugar content in your diet.
and it will maximize your overall health, well-being, clarity of mind, and strength and endurance. And keep you away from chronic degenerative diseases like diabetes, Alzheimer's, sugar-related, we call diabetic Alzheimer's. So may everyone be blessed that we get inspired to have the inspiration to do that in our lives. Amen. Aho. O Takiyasin. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Really important message, I think, Dr. Cousins. And, uh, you know, it's kind of representative on a larger scale of the difference between immediate gratification and happiness. And they're not necessarily the same. Right. Right. It's so important and so basic that it comes down to a lot of what molds character. And as you gain wisdom, you start getting quiet inside yourself and paying attention. You know, what are the results of this particular thought pattern, this action pattern, having this kind of conversation, using these words, this emotional state? Does it lead to harmony and peace and feeling great? Or is it momentary satisfaction, like telling somebody how stupid you think they are, and you get into this big fight and it you know, creates a terrible situation, but you got the satisfaction of saying what you thought, and it's on a bit. It's related to what you're talking about, because uh, for the moment in your tongue, the sugar tastes really good, or at least we're trained to interpret it that way. And the results are a whole spectrum of degenerative disease and uh, emotional states that aren't fun at all, and it ends up you know, feeling bad all the time in some kind of degenerative disease condition. And if you want to oversimplify things, the purpose of every individual's life, not just humans, but animals and protozoa and birds and trees and everything, everybody's trying to feel good. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that feeling good is what is stable and lasts and expands and the momentary satisfaction, it can be the opposite. So, yeah, just, just to add to that, that you know, uh, hypoglycemia, the sugar blues, depression, and anxiety are very much associated with the sugar addiction. Yeah, I can, I, I've seen that a lot. Yeah. And it's just, a, it makes it more clear that if you just look at the immediate gratification, you're going to have a lot of confusion about why you feel so terrible all the time. And you start getting quiet inside yourself, which is why you're emphasizing meditation and being present, being conscious. And you realize, wow, what I've been doing is leading me in in the opposite direction to where I wanted to go. And maybe I should consider changing it. And the way I see that related to the world situation is that if you don't do that in yourself and face your own challenges, then all we can offer to other people and our influence on them is what we become. You know, and so if you're an addict of various kinds, that's going to, even if you say nothing, that's how you're going to be influencing everybody else. So when you, when you get clear on that, you realize, okay, I don't want to blow away any more time, just doing what everybody else does or watching TV or agreeing with what we're supposed to think, but face what's going on inside yourself because that's where everything happens. And when you do that, to the extent you do that, just like in Dr. Cousins' programs and in many other ways, then your influence on the rest of the world starts being totally different. And this goes even to the aspect of thoughts and emotions and you know about the World Peace Meditation Project that's happening once a week on Zoom and every day unofficially. I just want to add, we have a Peace 21. Oh, yeah, I wanted to say that, too. Yeah, go ahead. No, I want to ask you, what are the details? Because I even even looked at your site and I couldn't see it. So Peace 21, we have an H equinaxis solstice. We meditate 
for a world peace on the 21st of each equinox. So it's this Thursday right. at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. And uh, it's got a really good price tag on it, from what I understand. <laughs> the price is you offer yourself for creating peace. It's good. Right. You don't have to bring any money. Right. So. And this is how you tune into it. It's free, it's easy, and the world needs it. Yeah, this is all based on the idea and the understanding that what you're radi- what you're feeling inside, the emotional state that you're living in that everybody thinks is secret and doesn't affect anybody else, is actually broadcasting all over the world and affecting every life form because we're all connected in this incredible network and we're just, we're in a time in history where that consciousness and awareness of that is rare. And most of us think there's no, there's no such thing. You can only, the only reality is what you can see and what you can touch and grab. And what we're saying is a stronger reality is frequency and energy. And some of the quantum physics explorations are touching on this, but it goes much deeper. And if you realize we're all in this network and affect each other moment by moment in real time, irrespective of distance completely, then you realize how powerful it would be to bring your scattered emotional state back into harmony and be broadcasting that for world peace. And I think that's basically one way of seeing what this project is all about. So invite people to to uh, participate on Peace 21 on Thursday and also... It's 7 p.m. Israel time and then it's different times throughout the world. Right, and and let's say what the specific web address of that is to sign up for it. So he put it up there, just a moment. DrCousins.com slash Peace 21. Thank you, Doug. And, uh, And it really is something substantial. It's not imaginary. Well except in the sense that imagination is real and creating, you know, the the color of your entire existence. So in that sense, it is imaginary, but it's very real. And uh, we're, we're working with the same thing in uh, Planetary Healing Club, which meets once a week on Saturday, planetaryhealingclub.com. And while I've been dealing with my you might say, major toxic exposure. I've, I've been able to continue the Planetary Healing Club work, and hopefully the rest of Lost Arts is going to be back up and running very shortly. We're working on that. So in the meantime, don't underestimate the importance of yourself and uh, the influence that you have on the whole world all the time. And as Dr. Cousin says, be sweet to yourself, love yourself, because loving your neighbor as yourself means nothing if you hate yourself. And that's according to what you're doing in your own life. So it's all one one thing. Treat it well. And uh, we appreciate you greatly. You're the hope for the future. And it's all inside. So make the connection. Live it. And stay there. Peace be with everyone. Amen. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for being here. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.